I'm Sonia Morton Firth, and you're tuned in to the Sonia Morton Firth Show. Today, my guest is Simon Alexander Ong, speaker, coach, business strategist, and soon to be author. Simon is one of the world's leading coaches whose work has been featured in the FT, Forbes, and the Huffington Post. Simon inspires people to see their world differently and helps ignite their imagination of what is truly possible. Watch this interview as we talk about how to find your purpose, what success truly is, and why it's so important to slow down to improve all areas of your life. Simon, thank you so much um, for being a guest on my show. And it's lovely to have you here. I'd love you here in person. Uh, but such is life that at the moment we're in lockdown. But um, <laughs> I, I love your beautiful surroundings behind you. How are you, Simon, today? <laughs> and thank you for having me on your show today, Sonia. Simon, I've been quite excited about this chat for a while. Um, you and I met, I think it was just before Christmas at a, uh, a, one of our mutual friends panel discussions. And, um, and since then I've been doing a lot of sort of reading up on you and, and, and finding you know, some of your words of wisdom um, amazing. But what I'd love to tap down, because I, I think we, we sort of, we, we have a lot of similarities in, in our life. Um, particularly, I guess, where I want to go with this is, is your background. Uh, you haven't always been a coach. And tell me a little bit more about how you became a coach and where that all started. Sure, Sonia. I remember when, when I was younger, I grew up uh, thinking that success was either getting a job as a banker, a doctor, a lawyer or an accountant. And that was heavily influenced by my family, by the surroundings, and I guess to some extent what society felt for the average person uh, was a successful path. And so my journey was very linear up until my second year of university. So I got good grades, I got to a good school, I got to a good university. And then the second year of university happened. I got to the summer, and I was clicking the internet to check my results this summer after the second year of university finished. And when I refreshed the page to see the results come up, I realized I'd failed that year. I'd failed that year. Now, I, I now joke when I talk about this because I say I didn't fail in the Chinese sense of failing, which is if you score anything below 100%, you failed. There's always very high expectations. Uh, it's a lot different now with this generation, but in the older generations, it, it was very much you have to be top of the class, uh, you know, you have to be the smartest in the class. And so this version of failing was properly failing in the sense I had to resit that year. Uh, so that's when life started, if you will, Sonia, started to uh, unravel in a bit more of a messy way. Now, from there, I navigated my way out of the university. I managed to land a job in the financial services sector, which is where most students at the London School of Economics ended up in uh, after qualifying with a degree in economics. Yeah, it is where I spent 20 years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, the timing couldn't have been worse because I graduated in 2007. I started my job uh, just a few weeks after. Uh, and this was around 12 months before the 2008 global financial crisis really kicked off. And even worse, the company I joined was Lehman Brothers. So talk about a baptism of fire. Not really the greatest of starts. Yeah, I So I remember September 08, that fateful Monday morning, people on the news walking out with their cardboard boxes. The company I decided to join went bankrupt. And so that kick-started about seven or eight years uh, of being in and out of jobs within the financial services sector. You know, all those big plans I had of start a job, move up the ladder, get promoted, and then move to another company to try and get a bigger promotion, can, were quickly swept away from under my feet. Can I just ask you something? If you can take, your back, take, take yourself back to, to, to that time, were you happy? If, if you, you think back to it, was it, did you feel happy? Did you feel like, okay, I've, I've made it out at Lehman's brother, Brothers, you know, I've, I've made it to the city. Was mm. there any side of that? Sort of, yeah, it's interesting when I when I think back now, Sonia, because 
with the wisdom I now have, what I realized was I felt successful because again, success was determined by how much you earn, uh, your status, being a banker, doctor, lawyer, and accountant. So yes, on one hand, I felt successful. But when we talk about happiness, looking back now, I realized there's a big difference between success and fulfillment. So while I felt successful, I didn't feel fulfilled. And that's because I spent long hours in the office. Uh, you know, by the time I came home, I'd lost my energy. You know, you have a quick dinner, you watch whatever's on TV, you're, you're in bed, and the next day you're back out again. And over the years, I've learned that more and more that success and fulfillment are very different. You can be successful in something you hate, but what's the point? Yeah. Life is about doing something that fulfills you. It's very interesting that, and I, and I say exactly the same thing. At the time, I thought I was really successful. You know, I'd, um, I was a career woman. I'd reached, you know, I'd climbed the ladder. I was in a man's world. I was, I was earning a lot of money. Uh, I, I sort of had ticked all those boxes that society and um, I guess your parents mm -hmm. um, have for you. But when I woke up that, that, that morning, I, I felt like, wow, I, I'm, I'm successful, but not fulfilled. Isn't that the ultimate failure? Mm. And now I look at success and, and, I, and, and funny enough, I was having this conversation with myself this week. What does success actually really mean? But sorry, yes, I, I think it's actually, I think everyone has a different definition of success. And I think that's what, what you touched on that's so important, Sonia. You know, what is your definition of success? Because unless we take the time to reflect on what is a simple yet complex question, because for so long in our lives, many of us define success by other people's definition. Yes. We embrace other people's influences. But when you ask someone, no, what is your own definition of success? What does it mean to you? Very few of us can answer that question well because we, we default to the measures that society has given us. You know, success for me is when I'm earning a lot. Success for me is when I'm doing X, Y, Z, but a lot of these X, Y, Z metrics are inherited by society, by parents, by the influences on your life. And so when we can start to mold that and change it and shift it into our own definition, now we are working towards something that means something to us, that has an emotional connection. And that's when we move from feeling successful versus someone else's metric to actually feeling fulfilled because that fire of aliveness in us is being fanned greater and greater i i love that and um you know i i want to want to definitely go back to your story but how did you how do you now define your success for me yeah success yeah. is now defined i guess by the contribution that I'm able to give to the world. Uh, you know, something I've learned, and, and at the time when I started to learn this, it was quite fluffy, uh, and it started to solidify over time because it, it's the same with anything. You know, when you start to have a vision of what you want to create, at the beginning, you don't really have all the jigsaw pieces together. It's very messy, it's sort of all over the place, but you just need to have the next step or the next few things to start piecing together, and then everything starts to come into the picture. So for me, what I started to realize is that our worth in life is determined by how much more value we deliver than we take in payment, how much more we give to the world than we take from it. And that's where my version of success started to evolve. And I think one of the lessons that helped me to get more specific was, was an exercise that I came across in Stephen Covey's classic, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, there's a chapter in there called Begin with the End in Mind. And I remember what I did was I imagined myself at my own funeral. And I started to realize that no one is going to talk about how many hours Simon worked, whether Simon earned the most in his life, whether Simon ended up as a banker, doctor, lawyer, and accountant. People don't remember you for those things. People remember you for what you've given the world, the value you brought into the lives of others. You know, this person changed the way I saw my life. This person influenced the way that I saw what was possible. This person was there when no one else was. You know, these are the things that you can't always quantify, but are the things that everyone will remember. It's the feeling that you inject into the lives of others. Absolutely. 
Wow, I mean that's that's making me have all sorts of little tick aha moments. Right? <laughs> um, it, 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 a couple of things that you said there. I'm, I've just finished reading a book, The Science of Getting Rich, which is a very old classic, um, and and a few things, yeah, sort of resonate in there. It's it's been a, it's, it's been an amazing book actually. Uh, so so going back, um, you you got this job, um, and and obviously 2008 happens. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you're at the you're at the heart of it, the Lehman Lehman Brothers. I was at S and I was just across the road at Standard and Poor's, as we were at the heart of it as well. Um, at what point then did you know this? This uh, you said you know you, you started thinking that you know things were going wrong. Uh, but at what point did you sort of start your personal growth journey to becoming that coach? Sure. I think it was during my second job. So once Lehman had finished, I moved from there to a hedge fund. And on the outside, it sounds glamorous. You know, a lot of people, when they read about hedge funds, there's lots of high money, there's lots of influence. But what they don't realize is that that only comes when you are at the senior level in a hedge fund. Now, if you're at the junior level, it's a very different story. You're like, you know, you're like the servant to the masters of the universe, if you will. You're the, you're the tea boy or girl bringing in the food, getting their lunches basically their secretary in, in all but name. Uh, so I got to that job and I started to realize how far off track my career was going versus my expectations before I entered the industry. And because a recession had happened, I thought to myself, well, as long as I'm working for someone, I have little control over my destiny. I don't really have much say because whether I get promoted or not is, well, it's my manager's decision. Whether my company exists or not uh, is the result of the CEO and the C-suite level decisions. And so I started to think to myself, what would it be like if I was doing something in my life that I was more in control of, that I could be the one that could decide where it would go? And now the thinking started in my second job, but it wasn't until... Uh, I was made redundant in my third job. Now, I joke looking back in hindsight that maybe I wasn't meant for employment given how many jobs I went in and out of. Uh, but it wasn't until I was out of my third job for nearly a year. Uh, and that was, that was a painful period financially because when you have no income coming in, when you only have one source of income, it's tough when you are out for 10 months of the labor force. Especially if you're living in London and, and with the high costs of living in, in this city, yeah. Exactly, exactly. But I look back and think, Sonia, it was such a blessing in disguise because just like a lot of people talk about the last year in lockdown has given us this time to really reflect and uh, go inwards, if you will. I use this time to really reflect on simple, but again, very important questions in life. Uh, I came across a saying on social media a while ago that said the longest journey we would take as humans are the inches from our heads to our hearts. And so I began walking that journey from my head to my heart to go inwards, to listen to the wisdom that is inside all of us, if we are willing to give it a platform to speak. And so as I did that, I started to have a flood of ideas. You know, this notion of slowing down in order to speed up, all of these ideas started bubbling to the surface. And because I had this time, there was no excuse not to start exploring, to research, to watch videos, to go to seminars. And I think that is really where the journey to where I am today started. Wow. And at, at that point, um, because, I mean, you'd literally gone from a very wealthy sector in terms mm. of, uh, you know, the finance industry, isn't it? Like you say, money, money equals success to go into a very different sector that's, that's much more about contribution and helping people. Um, how did you find that transition? What were the sort of challenges that came out of leading, leaving corporate life? But I think there might be many people that, that are listening to this and you know, maybe may in the situation where they've been furloughed or maybe they've been in a situation where they thought, wow, I've had a year back of my life not commuting, not going back into the corporate world, still working. And maybe they've got some ideas of coming out of corporate life. Um, what, what would you say or what advice um, and challenges did you face? Well, first of all, I promise you it's going to be challenging. You are going to have failures. You will have setbacks. Uh, I think that's important to get out of the way first because so many things you see on social media and in magazines can glamorize 
yeah. uh, you know, this sort of leap from employee to entrepreneurship without also touching on the real world issues. You, you know, it's not going to be as easy as you suddenly switch from one career to another and it's all going to be rosy and it's all going to be very easy. It's not that way. I mean, after those 10 months, I still had to get a job because, you know, I needed income. But what I was able to do, because I had these force, I was able to be more strategic. So I went into a job that wasn't as intense as before, but could leverage the skills I had already built. So it meant that I could be good at my job and I could use the hours outside of work and the weekends to start making steps forward. And I think that is an important element to determine how quick you can make that transition. Too many think... Uh, that to go from employee to entrepreneurship, you got to do this sort of Hernan Cortes approach of where you burn the boats and the only way is forward. But in real life, we have obligations. You know, if you suddenly burn the boats and you cut all your sources of income and leap into entrepreneurship, well, if you go in cold, it's going to be very difficult to establish something that quickly. So the better way is to create a phased approach. Build it before you need it. If you're thinking you want to start a business in a particular industry or sector and you need relationships or networks, or opportunities you're seeking. Start to build out now while you have income coming in. Use the time outside of work. Be smart with your time. Build out your network now. So when you're ready to go, guess what? You're starting to put the pieces into place, which makes it even more likely that it'll be a smoother transition. And that's what happened to me. You know, I started to build my coaching business on the side, which started as many do uh, as one-to-one -one coaching. And it got to a point where I had to make a decision. I was saying to myself, well, I can't continue doing my day job and coach the people I had as clients during my lunch break, during after work and on weekends because I would have no time to relax. So I got to this position where I had to make a choice. Uh, and that was when I made the leap into entrepreneurship, when I decided to focus 100% on making this happen. And I guess, I guess, you know, you, you discovered this joy from coaching. Um, and I think a lot, um, a, a lot of people that, that leave their corporate jobs, um, leave their corporate jobs potentially because they don't like their corporate jobs. They haven't actually thought about what it is they, they really want to do. I mean, let, let's face it, the majority of us go to work because we've gone to school, we've gone to university, and the next step is to go and work for, for, as I call it, go and work for the man, without any real true realization of really what it is we want. So we think we want money, we think we want materialistic things. Now, I'm not saying at any point that money isn't important. However, we don't spend enough time, I don't think, really discovering what we as individuals really want. Um, Tell me a little bit more about that, Simon, because I know part of your teachings is about discovering your true purpose and, and living a life of purpose. Definitely. And I think what you share there, Sonia, is a big reason why so many news resolutions fail. You know, you, you, we, we all read the statistics. You know, of all the people that make news resolutions, nearly every single one of them will break them or fail to follow through. And and we're in February now. I, I bet you the majority of people <laughs> have failed. The one that they haven't failed is the going to the gym because that would be <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and in fact, they end up making the same one year after year after yeah. year after year. And one of the reasons is is because exactly what you said, Sonia. We all know what we don't want. I want to lose weight. I don't want to stay in this job anymore. I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. We all know what we don't want. But when it comes to what exactly do you want in, this, in specific detail, very few of us know it. I mean, when you think about most New Year's resolutions, it's to get fitter, more money, wealthier. I mean, it's so vague and it's so general yeah, that it's not really giving you a target to aim at. Uh, you know, I was, you know, one of the things that got me into the process of visualization was coming across a letter that Bruce Lee wrote himself all those years ago in 1969, he wrote a letter when he was in one of his most challenging periods. And he simply wrote, I, Bruce Lee, will be the highest paid oriental movie star in the world. I will command fees in excess of $10 million over the next decade in exchange for my services to the world of acting. 
in which I will render the best performances I can deliver. Within four years, he achieved everything that he had written on that piece of paper because that was specific. What that is the power of writing? Do you believe there is a power of writing something down? I mean, I, I'm a, I, I, I have to write everything down and, and I've got to confess, I'm not, I'm not big on the computer typing. I actually prefer to take pen to paper and, 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 mm. and write thoughts down or write my visualizations down. Definitely. I mean, I think it's so important. I mean, I've got my notepad right here, which has got all my sort of notes in it. And I'm writing all the time. You know, something I learned from Tim Ferriss is that the weakest pen is stronger than the best memory. That's why you want to write it down. It activates things in your mind. But more importantly, your mind can only contain so much. Now, if you're storing everything up here, well, you can't think clearly. But if you download all your thoughts onto paper, it allows you to organize your thinking, to get clear, to decide the best way forward. But your mind is now free of all those thoughts. If not, you end up going through something that everyone suffers from, which is overthinking. The idea of thinking about your thinking about your thinking. You get so pulled up in your head that you end up taking no action. Um. And I think that's that's quite important because I bet there's a lot of people there now with time on their hands and they're probably overthinking, overanalyzing, um, getting themselves stressed. You know, even though we might not be physically busy rushing around, you can still be, be stressed by not doing anything, <laughs> by, by panicking about sort of seeing things that don't even exist in the future. Definitely. And this is where, you know, going back to your question, Tony, about how do we, Decide what is it we want. What is that thing? Well, first of all, I think the idea of purpose can be very heavy and it can put a lot of pressure on us. You know, we say, when I know my purpose, I will start to make the steps forward. But at the moment, I don't know what my purpose is. So we wait until the day we know what our purpose is. The fact is very few of us will wake up one morning and go, Eureka, I know my purpose for the rest of my life. It rarely happens that way. For me, the purpose of life is living a life of purpose. And if you want to discover what that is, it begins with a much softer question. What are you most curious about right now? And I'm sure there will be things that come to your mind. It can be literally anything. You know, what are you most curious about right now? Don't let your thinking hold you back. If it comes to mind, I'm pretty sure there's a reason why. And just start from there. Think to yourself, well, I'm curious about this, this, and this. Well, what can I do in the next couple of weeks to simply find out more about them? Just to explore, maybe just research. Ask people who've done those things I'm most curious about. That is where every single journey begins. Now, if you look at, uh, you know, the, the late Steve Jobs, when he went to college, he took up calligraphy. Now, he didn't know where calligraphy was going to lead him. He didn't plan to build his life purpose around calligraphy, but it was what he was most curious about at that time. And because he took that class in calligraphy, it led to him appreciating design, simplicity, minimalism, which fed into the design of Apple products. Now, that's the thing. You can't always know where your actions will lead to in the future you can only do your best in this moment based on what you're most curious about. And as you follow those stones of curiosity, eventually you'll find that river of purpose. And if you have clients that are talking to you and saying, um, look, I think this is what my purpose is, but, but, I'm, but I'm not sure. Is, is, there, is there a way I, I can get more certainty? Are there other questions that you ask them or are there other techniques that you use to, to help people sort of um, unravel their gifts? I mean, I, I, I'm sort of a, bit, a big believer that everyone has their gifts. Mm. We all have a gift. Um, and I think many of us don't find that gift. And, and like you said, some of the hardest work is, is just to discover that. And, like, and, and it can be daunting. And it isn't like you say, you wake up and have that light bulb moment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish it would be that easy. I mean, I'm, I'm still discovering mine. And I've done a lot of uh, sort of work on myself. And, and I think I, I have, I'm, I'm slowly unraveling it. And it takes a different form and slightly different shape the more and more I sort of, um, yeah, sort of think about it. 
Yeah, well, I, I would say it's uh, it's it's a two pronged approach, uh, Sonia. One is uh, working backwards from the future, uh, and the other is starting today thinking like a scientist. So if I break that down into what I mean by these two approaches, the first is a question I tend to ask new clients. What I would say to them to help give me a better understanding uh, of what is important to them, because there are many questions we don't often reflect on. So one of the questions I get them to share with me on is this. If you and I were to have a conversation five years from now, five years from now, we pick up the phone to each other and you were to say to me down that line, Simon, the last five years has been the most incredible, the most wonderful, the most magical of my life in every single area. What would you be telling me in as much detail as possible in terms of your wealth, your health, your relationships, your career, your business? literally every single area, why were those last five years the most magnificent ever experienced? And suddenly, I, I, it's incredible what happens, Sonny, because then people come pouring out yeah. with all these incredible things as if it's happened. Simon, the last five years has been amazing because, so in those minutes, I've transported them to the future them, to imagine that best version of themselves as if we're having a conversation five years from today. So that's the first thing. In that answer, they not only reveal to me what's important, but they reveal to themselves what makes them feel alive. Because fundamentally, we get tired and exhausted, not because we're doing too much, but because we're doing too little of that which brings us joy, makes us feel most alive, and makes us want to go out there and make things happen. So that's the first part of the approach. The second is to think like a scientist. Now, the beauty about scientists is when they conduct experiments, there's nothing that's deemed a failure because it's simply that, it's an experiment. So what happens is they record their feedback, they record their observations, and then experiment again and again and again and again until they get to the solution, until they get to that breakthrough. So when it comes to your curiosity, don't go into it thinking it's either going to succeed or it's going to fail. Approach it in terms of experimentation. How can I start experimenting with these different tools, these resources, these ideas, and just see what happens from there? How do you keep your, how do you keep yourself inspired? Because I think, especially in the times we're living in at the moment, anyone listening to this, that we're, we're in lockdown three, hopefully coming out of it very, very soon. Um, but you know, there, there haven't been the, the, the greatest times. I mean, they, they, I'm sure we've all had our own experiences um, and I think it's changed every single one of us. I can't, can't imagine anyone that's gone into this whole pandemic without being changed in some way, shape or form. Um, and one of the things I, I found quite difficult because I'm, I'm very much a people person and I take energy from, um, the, from people. I'm an extrovert and, and, and I draw from, from the outside. So one of the things I found very difficult is being sort of isolated, you know, being at home all day and not being out with and, and meeting other people. And I'm, you know, I'm starting on new business ventures and, and still continuing my interviewing. But how do you stay inspired on those days? Because um, we've all got dark days. We're, we're all going through challenges at the moment. Um, and, and sometimes it is difficult to, to keep that, inspiration of that vision that purpose that thing that you want to create totally for me uh two words sonia the the way i managed to keep inspired is energy management you've got to manage your energy i love uh, energy sorry <laughs> but i love i love energy that word is yeah. so i mean there's, there's so many ways we can go with energy management but it's as simple as that uh, there will be things in your life, in your environment that are draining you of energy. There are thoughts and places that are draining you of energy, but there will also be things giving you energy. And so you've got to understand how can I manage my energy in terms of igniting my energy, channeling it in the right way and protecting it. Now, if you can manage those three areas effectively, you have a powerful foundation to remain inspired. So just to give you some examples uh, from a practical perspective of how I apply those things. So if I think about igniting my energy, one of the first things I do each day is get some form of exercise in, whether that's a workout, whether that's walking outdoors, 
whatever form of exercise suits you, and that's the main thing, it has to suit you. We all have different preferences. You know, some will enjoy running, some will enjoy weight training and so on, whatever suits you. I mean, to me, me it's a, I call it a non-negotiable. I, I even block yeah. it. I block it out in my calendar. So if my PA books meetings in, she can see training is the first thing in the morning. Um, and I make sure that I, I have to. It's, it's something that I, I believe helps my mood for the rest mm. of the day. And, and it is a real value as well. Absolutely. And that's, that's also why it, it's the same for me, Son, you know, to start the day with some form of exercise. And that gets your mood into a really good place. You know, just imagine uh, finishing a really sweaty workout, you've got endorphins rushing for your body, your mood's at an ultra peak state. Just imagine what's possible for you. Whatever the day throws at you, you're ready. You're ready to take it on. Uh, another thing I do in terms of igniting my energy is making sure that my environment is working for me and not against me. Because the quickest way to succeed in any area of your life is to design an environment that makes it impossible not to succeed. So start thinking about every aspect of your environment, you know, from what you're reading, what you're watching, what you're listening to, who you're following on social media, your physical environment. You know, if you're surrounded by chaos, your mind will operate very differently to a well-organized environment. And I think that's so important now, you know, we, 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 if, we're, if, we're, if we let ourselves listen to the, the mass media every day, we could get ourselves in a very negative state of mind. And it, and it is really what you allow in that shape that. Um, it's like the analogy that comes to my mind, Sonia, it's like, uh, imagine you're rowing your boat in the ocean and the ocean is full of negativity. Now, as long as you can block that out, you can continue to row your boat to land, to dry land. But the moment that you allow that water of negativity to go into your boat, you start sinking. Yeah. And it becomes a lot harder to move forward until you start getting those those negative thinking, those negative influences outside of your mind. I, uh, I, I make a rule actually not to watch any main mainstream media. <laughs> uh, you know, occasionally I'll catch the news on on, on a radio station, but I, I really don't. I, I, I've really chosen not, not to, to let that in. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in what you should say about physical environment, because um, you know, I, I look behind you and everything's very neat and tidy. I've got to say I'm a neat freak. <laughs> I, I can't actually be around mess because that, mm. that affects my mind as well. Totally. You know, it, it's funny because I've never spoken to anyone who's tidied up, organized, given stuff away to charity, made the environment nice, simple and clean that has then said, I regret doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I've never met anyone who's regretted creating a much more organized work environment or even living environment. Uh, and it just shows the impact that can have on our mental game. Uh, which leads me on, talking about mental game, it leads me on to the next part on energy management. So I've talked about Ignite. The next one really is about how you direct your energy. How do you channel the energy once you've got that in your system? And especially in the times we're living in at the moment, it's so important to channel your energy into what you can control rather than what you can't. Because when we focus on what we can't control, whether it's the government response to the pandemic, whether it's when things are going to open up again, it can easily make you depressed. But when you focus on what you can control, now that's, that's an exciting part of moving forward because it empowers you to take action. You're looking for ways that you can be creative. You're looking for ways that you can move forward. And embracing the action-oriented mindset is one of the most common traits among the most successful. Talking of most common traits uh, amongst the successful, um, obviously I, I know you're, you're a very successful coach and you um, and, and have uh, very successful clients. Have you sort of identified what, what those common traits they have? Mm. Everyone, I think that there are many differences between them, uh, but I would say if I had to narrow it down to a few common traits, one, uh, would be something I shared just now, which is this bias towards action. Yeah. Uh, they have a massive bias towards action. So they're not afraid of starting before they're ready. Uh, you know, they, 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 they like to get on with it and, you know, they'll make mistakes. They'll, they'll have failure. Uh, but what they realize is that those mistakes and failures don't matter nearly as much as how they respond to it. 
And that's how we build resilience. So the first trait I, I observe is this sort of uh, action-oriented mindset. The second is a vision. This is something you will find amongst every successful business and leader mm. is they have a compelling and magnetic vision that not only helps them, but it helps motivate the employees that work for them and also allows people outside of their company or outside of their uh, close acquaintances to want to follow them. They have this story that people just want to be a part of. Uh, you know, just to share a great example with you, Brian Stevenson in his TED 2012 talk entitled, We Need to Talk About an Injustice, for 18 minutes that he spoke on stage, he managed to get the audience to contribute a combined $1 million into his nonprofit. That averages yeah. at over $55,000 per minute that he spoke. But all he did was he took a vision that he had for a better world and he shared it with an audience, but the energy that he shared it with, the passion he had for that topic, meant that he was able to draw every single person in the audience to want to become part of that story. So first, action-oriented mindset. Second is vision. And third, I find, is always seeking to be the dumbest person in the room. They're oh, always looking to learn. They're always looking to learn because here's the thing. If you are the smartest, most ambition pers ambitious person in the room, how much further can you grow? You, you can't really grow that much. Oh, it's almost like an ego thing, isn't it? You're in a room <laughs> that you know you're the best. It's like, why? Well, just to massage your ego. It's not exactly. So one of the skills they've adopted is what I call, because I grew up learning martial arts, is adopting a white belt mentality, remaining an eternal student. Because that. there's a Zen saying that goes, the difference between a master and a student is that the student is so focused on being a master to have the status, to have the money, but yet the master has cultivated the art of remaining an eternal student. So always be humble enough, open enough to learn from people, from experiences, from different perspectives. And this is why when you look at top performers, whether that's in the corporate world, whether that's in sport, they're always surrounded by mentors, coaches, advisors to help them up their standards every single day. Simon, on that note, um, you're a coach and there's a, there's a lot of coaches out there in the personal development industry. And I'd love to get your views on, firstly, what your views of the personal development industry is. I've, I've spent quite a bit of time then and I, and I used to be, uh, I used to run the Yes Group, which is a large community um here in london and um and also what you think people should be looking for in a coach when they choose a coach sure well if it's okay sonia for the first part of the question i'm going to just reframe it to business in general because i think there's a lot that can apply not just in coaching but in terms of business uh, holistically i think we're at a stage uh in society now where it's never been easier to start a business or become a coach. You know, literally you can get your website up, you can get your social media up in 24 hours and you can call yourself whatever you wanna call yourself. Yeah. yeah, you can be a coach of this, a coach of that. Yeah, you, you can be, I don't know, creating t-shirts, you can be selling pens, whatever. You can create a business almost immediately. The barriers to entry have never been easy. On the flip side, however, because of that very first fact, it also means the barrier to success has never been higher. Because there's more noise, there's so many more people doing exactly what you are doing. And I think, you know, we talk about the personal development industry. This is the same thing here, but it's also the same in every other industry. Uh, you know, there's more and more people and companies popping up. And so what that means is it's become more important to make sure you yourself are the best that you can be in doing what you do. Because otherwise, sooner or later, you'll get found out. Sooner or later, you'll get found out. And so when we think about all these other businesses that are coming up, it's how are you differentiating yourself? How are you acting different to the competition? And that's the only way you're going to be able to get the attention of the people you want to work with. Uh, I can explore a bit more on that in, in a second there, because I think your second question, if you just and remind your, me that Your second question is, if, if anyone was looking um, for a coach, um, we talked about the importance of, of coaching. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm a coach myself and I have coaches. Um, as a coach, I believe we should all have coaches and, and, that, and that's in various different aspects of my life. Um, 
but how would you, what would you suggest if someone was listening to this how would they go about finding a good coach what should they look for maybe yeah i think first of all is you want to look at the impact they've had you know it's, it's, it's like kind of working with anyone you want to work with people who inspire you who basically do what they are going to help you to do because if they haven't achieved anything that they want to help you achieve, then, well, how can you feel inspired to go forth and do the same thing? Uh, which is the same thing when we think about leadership. You, know, you can only lead others uh, the more that you're improving. You have to lead yourself first because you can't take people further than your personal development is. If you're not growing, then the clients you work with, you can only take them to the same level you are right now. Yeah. You can't take them beyond that. So I think first of all, look at the results they've had. Look at who they've worked with get an understanding of the results they've achieved. That's number one. Uh, number two is have a conversation with them first. Never go cold into working with a coach without at least having a first conversation. Because as with anything, if you are going to invest in a coaching partnership, you want to make sure that there is rapport, that you have a connection with that person you're going to work with. Yeah, you want to look forward to these I sessions. That's got to be one of the probably the, the things they, they don't teach. I mean, I've done a coaching um, uh, accreditation, but, mm -hmm. you know, you, you can't put your finger on um, rapport. Mm. But it is so important to have that chemistry with your coach. I, I really do believe um, that, that you have to have respect for the coach, but also that, that you just get on with that coach. I mean, it's not that you have to be best friends, but there has to be definitely an, an element of rapport. Definitely. And I think the third thing is linked to the first, but it's, it's do your research, follow them for a little bit, read their content, see what sort of stuff they're putting out, get an understanding of where they can help you the most. And then that means when you come to having that conversation, you have much more specific things to talk about. You don't want to go in with, can you just make me, can you make me better? Can you help my life get better? You know, it's too generic and vague. Get to know how that coach can help you. Because as you said yourself, Sonia, you work with different coaches, but each of the coaches you work with have a specific focus. Absolutely. Know exactly how they can help you because that's what's going to make the relationship work. Yeah. And everyone's got their own, you know, their, their, their area. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've got to say, when you realize the, um, the benefits of coaching, it can, can really change your life um, and, and it certainly has done mine and you know I'm on a perpetual uh, growing journey I would say uh, I mean I, I love learning um, and th this doesn't end you know you continue to learn like you like you said earlier and as far as I'm concerned if you're not learning or growing you die right there's no it's almost that that it is a perpetual journey totally totally I mean it reminds me of a lot of the thoughts that uh I don't know if you read the books on your, uh, called The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Uh, um, it reminds me a lot of the thoughts he shares there. And, and that's the thing, because when you think about legacy, when you think about the legacy you want to create, there is no end. Your legacy is what you spend your life devoted to. There is no end, because here's the thing. If there is an end, what next? Usually when people think there is an end, whether that's getting a black belt in martial arts, becoming the world champion in a particular sport, what happens is complacency creeps in. It's why a sports team can more easily win their first trophy than retain the trophy in the next year and the year after that. Because once you've won it once, very often complacency creeps in. So when you think of it as an infinite game, you're thinking of how do I want to show up each day? Because the end is never what it's really about. It is really about who you become in that journey, the transformation that you go through. That is the goal. And it's something we don't realize when we begin. And I think that's so important um, when you just, you know, you know, when you, when you said goal, it's so important mm -hmm. when we think of this word goal, because we're always, you know, we're there trying to achieve our goals. However, when we've actually achieved that goal, we were on, we moved on to the next one. We're constantly trying to find what's the next what's the next when actually like you just said it's a, it's about changing something about or doing something every single day that will better yourself um Definitely. and that's why sonia i think goals are great because goals help us measure our progress but at the end of the day habits are much more important than goals absolutely 
you know, with a goal, you might win once. You might win that goal. You might finish that marathon. You've achieved your goal. But when you've got a set of powerful habits in place that you do day in and day out, you set yourself up to win again and again and again and again and again. That is the difference between habits and goals. And I, and I liken that too, and it's a simple analogy of um, a, a woman that maybe wants to lose weight um, to get into that bikini or to get into her wedding dress. That, that's, a, that's a goal that has a very finite time, but actually, is that the long-term goal? Because the long-term goal is you wanna be fit and healthy and look good all the time, right? So by changing your habit every single day, to make it realistic, to, to, be, to make, make exercise a part of your everyday non-negotiable, to make healthy eating a non-negotiable, means that you're not desperately trying to, you're fixated on that goal. It's just it's a lifestyle change. It's something that you're changing a little bit every day, every day. And then when you look back, like you say, um, if you look back a year like, uh, uh, back, it's like, wow, you, if you consistently kept at that, you make a huge change. And you know, one of the quickest ways to make that transformation occur, Sonia, is simply by shifting how you see yourself. What is your identity? Change your identity and the habits follow effortlessly. You know, otherwise, whenever you have to decide, do I do this habit today or not? Well, guess what? The more decisions you have to make, the weaker that muscle becomes mm -hmm. and you end up going for the easy option. But if you see yourself, if let's say you want to get fitter, you want to lose weight. If you begin today to see yourself as an athlete, visualize, visualize yourself as an athlete, what happens is your choices become made for you. You go into the supermarket. You think what you're going to do in the morning to feel great. You already know because you are an athlete. I am an athlete, so your choices are made. Just in the same way as if you view yourself as an entrepreneur, you might still be in a job looking to become an entrepreneur, but start to see yourself now as an entrepreneur, as the CEO of your own brand. The moment you do that is the moment you make much better choices. I love it. Simon, we're coming towards the end um, of, of, this, uh, of this chat. It's been a, gr a great chat. I want to say interview, but it's, I, I felt like you've given some great knowledge bombs to people out there. Um, in all of this, I mean, as we have mentioned COVID a few times, but is there any one thing that you think this has really taught us? Mm. I think the main thing, Sonia, is the need to slow down in order to speed up. Uh, the fact that we have been moving so fast in life pre-COVID uh, and that business is mistakenly confused with being productive. We have to be busy to be productive. But actually what we realized, I think, well, what I've realized in the last year is that productivity in business is very different. Business is about doing more and more regardless of their importance. Productivity is about doing less, but the things that are most important. And that's the big difference I've learned in this last year is that importance of slowing down and reminding ourselves just what is important. I, com I completely agree. And from somebody that has, is constantly busy, I, I have to remind myself and look at myself and think, am I just being busy for busy's sake? Mm. What is the actual end result of me doing this action? And I think um, I've, been, I've been really focused on slowing down. And I think unless you can really slow down, then it's very difficult, especially as an entrepreneur, if you've got a decision to make or if you've got an idea that you want to take into fruition mm. the creative moments don't come from a place of busyness or stress or rush 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 it's only when you've got those moments of, of slowdown that you can actually make these things come to life right i mean when i think about this idea of slowing down and now these may be true or not true uh, you know these are often used anecdotes now whether they're true or not, I think there's a lot we can learn from them, from Isaac Newton discovering gravity after sitting under a tree doing nothing and an apple falls on his head. Archimedes lying in a bathtub and suddenly, Eureka, he has that moment. Edison fishing with no bait, catching no fish, but he has this time to have these breakthroughs. You know, we can look at these examples and draw inspiration from them because as I say, 
Whether they're true or not, I think there is wisdom in these anecdotes. It's that the greatest, most creative breakthroughs happen when you're not sitting in front of your computer for 12 hours a day, but you're taking yourself away from work into the open world to let your mind wander, if you will, and to connect with the wisdom that we all have inside of us. It's beautiful. Simon, what's next for you? I hear you're writing a book. Indeed, indeed. I'm uh, in the process of writing a book at the moment, so that's certainly keeping me busy. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? Is there anything that you're allowed to divulge at this stage? Because I'm I sure there's divulge. a lot of people that want to get their hands on it. <laughs> so I can divulge the premise. Uh, other than that, uh, until the official press release goes out, uh, I'm not allowed to share much more than that. Uh, but it's really to do with something I shared earlier uh, around energy management. Uh, how once you have that as your foundation, anything is possible. I love it. And when uh, when are we looking at the first press release? Is it? Uh, Hopefully later this year, sort of uh, end summer, autumn, uh, with an expected publication uh, March next year. Wow. Well, I will be definitely looking out for that sign. <laughs> um, and my final question, I've come to my final question, Simon, and that is if you were to write a message in a bottle for future generations to find, what would that message be? Mm, great question. And there's so many thoughts that have come into my yeah, head. Yeah, you, you go with the first one. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I had to write something in this bit of paper, put it in a bottle, and hopefully someone would discover it in the future, it would be probably something along the lines of this. You are both the sculpture and the sculptor. Realize the strength that you possess and your wildest dreams will become possible. Simon, that is beautiful. Thank you so much for being a guest on my show. I've loved having you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sonia, for having me. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday. So hit subscribe and like and you'll get it straight into your inbox.